This is Horsin' Around with Broncos insider Andrew Mason. Oh my God! Each week, Mace takes you inside the Denver Broncos. I like it! Players, coaches, insiders, and of course, with a twist only Mace can provide. Buddy duddies! Now, here's Orange and Blue 760's Andrew Mason. Horsin' Around the second week of the offseason. Also, the weekend after the Broncos have their 17th head coach. Vic Fangio, of course, accepted the job, has press conference this week. I'm Andrew Mason of Orange and Blue 760 and DenverBroncos.com, joined by the esteemed co-host of Columbus and Lindahl, 7 to 10 a.m. You're used to hearing Andy Lindahl. Now you hear Tyler Columbus. I know. I mean, I'm honored. What did I do to earn this appearance on your podcast? I mean, I feel like I've waited a year without ever making an appearance. I'm not sure what I did this go around. Well, it's the off season now, and I know you're busy in you're season. You're desperate, man. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know you're busy in season, of course, on the Broncos radio network as well with that. So those responsibilities matter. But yeah, it was just an oversight that we didn't have you last off season. So I apologize. <laughs> Not playing. I'm well, well, it's good that you're here for a lot of reasons. First of all, if you listen to Broncos radio, you know Tyler uh, being on the sideline providing his insight. The other thing is, I was thinking about this when I was driving in today. There's a lot of talk about how what Vic Fangio said is being perceived, but it's talk from people like me who didn't play in the NFL. I'm wondering what you think of what he said when he got up there, the message he conveyed being that you've heard coach speak, you've heard messages from, let's face it, myriad coaches over yep. the course of your playing career. So as a former player, when you're hearing him get up there and talk about things like death by inches and attention to detail. What are you thinking from your perspective? Well, first off, the death by inches thing, I I mean, the overarching theory behind it is nothing unique. Uh, It is uh, something that every head coach will preach. Look, we got to take care of the small things. It's all about the details, Uh, the the being late to the meeting example that he used. uh, Every coach will talk about that. Shoot. Uh, I mean, I still have nightmares of showing up late for a meeting and getting fined $10,000, $12,000, walking in 30 seconds late. That's something that every coach has harped on since I was in the NFL. Yet, there was something about the way that he delivered the message in which I felt, eh, this guy might be a little bit different. You know, he might take that that one example, which was easy to come up with on the spot, and he might translate that into the locker room. Like, does he care what your locker looks like? Does he care about what you wear into the weight room? Those sorts of things. Like, uh, how detailed is he really going to be? I felt like it was believable. I felt like it was relatable. Um, actually, I felt like the overarching theme of the press conference uh, was more charming than I thought it was going to be. I thought that he had a way of, um, you know, avoiding questions, which all coaches do, yet being uh, charming in the way he did it. You know, like it wasn't rude. It was uh, almost kind of funny. How do players, though, perceive it over the long haul if there is a attention to detail that includes, okay, your locker needs to be presented like this or you have to wear certain attire to the weight room. Does that grind on guys after a certain point? Or is it one of those things where if everything's going well, if the team is winning, if the program is successful, people buy in? 
Yeah, I think that it's a fine line that you walk as a head coach of figuring out, okay, how do I hold these guys accountable yet keep them in, right? Because if you push, 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 and you never give, well, at some point they're going to say, you know what, forget this guy. Like, like, am I afraid of this guy or am I for this guy, you know? And so you've got to walk that line of holding guys accountable, yet making sure that they are for you, right? You want to make sure that they are with you. So it, I think it matters in how condescending you are and the way that you hold guys accountable. Um, I, You know, not everybody can be Bill Belichick and get away with it. Very, very few people can. You know, I'll go back to my days with Josh McDaniels. I actually liked a lot of the things that he brought to the program. Like, I really did. It was just he didn't know how to relate to human beings yet. And maybe he's better at it now. But, you know, for example, like, he got rid of all the music in the locker room. He said, look, not everybody wants to listen to that music. You want to listen to music? Listen to it on your headphones and be respectful of your peers. I loved that because I wasn't a huge music guy. Um, You know, the way that he would hold people accountable, there were certain things that I liked. But it was the messaging, it was the way that he did it that he lost you, you know? So I think you just got to walk that line of holding respect of your players. You think Vic Fangio can kind of do that in a different way? Because he certainly seems the opposite of condescending. He seems really sincere about how he's going about it. And he seems like he's really invested in what his players are doing, at least certainly based on what we've heard from his former players around the league and over the decades. Yeah, you know, he just seemed like he had a great blend of it. I I walked away from that presser um, impressed, and I wasn't expecting much. Uh, I'll full-on admit that I wasn't overly excited about the hire. I saw a lot of things that I said, you know what, he makes sense. I kind of like the way that he's not going about this in the traditional manner. He doesn't. He didn't have an agent for a long time. Um, he didn't like really uh, go out and wine and dine people to become a head coach. And I was like, you know what, I like all that stuff, but it was still a little bit hard to get overly excited. I walked away from that presser sort of excited. Like I walked away thinking, you know what, this just feels like a guy that is going to take control over this locker room. He feels like a guy that isn't going to be surprised by anything. And he feels like a guy that that knows a lot about football and he's, he's not going to be in the, the moment isn't going to be too big. I thought they were able to make the day about Vic. And it needs to be about Vic because it needs to be his show. When yep. it's fourth and one, yeah, whoever's calling the offensive plays, they're going to make the play call. But fourth and one from the six-yard line, the call on whether to go for it or not has to be Vicks, and then he can turn to his offensive coordinator and say, okay, give me your best call for one yard. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, the dual head coach thing, it would never work. It it will not work. Somebody's got to be in charge, and I think it was very clear who is in charge. Um, you know, I, I think that there really weren't many moments in that press conference that I thought, nah. I didn't feel good about it. You know, like, for example, I always get nervous of a head coach that talks about his previous employment too much, right? Like talking about, okay, the bear way. We did the it Patriot this way. way. Nobody yeah. cares how you did it where yeah, you previously like, were. Like, okay, you're with the yeah. Denver Broncos, all right? And I also get upset um, through my experiences as a player when a coach would come in and he would talk about last season that he wasn't a part of for your franchise. No, don't talk to me about, about, about last year. You weren't here. You don't know what happened, right? And so at the beginning of the presser, I'm not going to lie to you, my ears perked up a little bit because he was talking about the Bears so much. Uh, But by the time he was done, I thought to myself, you know what? He 
wasn't talking about bringing the bear way here. He wasn't talking about all the things that we're going to try to do to emulate the bears. He was being incredibly respectful the way that you would teach your children to be of somebody that provided a lot for him. He talked about respect for the bears organization that he was thankful for him. The, even the tie thing, like people are making a lot of a big deal about the, the orange being bear orange and not Bronco orange oh, and that it was from the bears, <laughs> all that sorts of things. I'm like, you know what? Who cares? He's showing a lot of respect to somebody that, that provided a lot for him. Yeah. Provided kind of the final push for him to be a head coach. And I think that's what the bears did for him. The influences that made him who he is. I mean, if, and I don't think he's going to bring the bear way. I don't know if there is a bear way at this point. You're right, for and, sure. And you look at his career, he, it, there's going to be as much influence from Jim Harbaugh, John Harbaugh, Brian Billick, Dom Capers, uh, in Carolina and Houston, Jim Mora, at least as much if not more influence from those guys because in some cases he spent longer with them yep. than he did in Chicago. Yep. Uh, I mean, I think uh, he's going to have a unique blend of influencers that I I'm not quite sure what the, the team will look like. That's you okay, know, though. Uh, totally okay. Um, I, I don't know. Uh, we do know what his defense will look like. I mean, it's going to look similar to what the Broncos have done in the past. You're going to see a little bit more zone coverage on the back end. You're going to see some man turned into zone. Um, but for the most part, I mean, a Vic Fangio defense is a 3-4 defense that looks very similar to Wade Phillips' defense defense just to the eyeball there's small little nuances that are different for sure uh but they feature edge pass rushers he he's a specialist in making the outside linebackers get after the quarterback i like the way that he challenged von miller in his in his presser immediately that sets a tone that I, i'm going to talk about my best players in the same manner that i talk about um my my guys that are fighting to be on the 53 so uh, i'm not sure what that identity will look like blended throughout all those coaches but I do have a good idea of what his defense looks like. Go to the offensive side for a minute because he did briefly address the quarterback situation. Said Case Keenum is the guy, but also offered the qualifier right now. No surprise there, but we've already talked a lot about the quarterback position the last couple of weeks. You guys have talked about it on your show. And the interesting thing with Vic Fangio, looking at his career, He's been around a lot of teams that were willing to put the ball in the hands of young quarterbacks, and they got positive results going all the way back to Carolina when they inserted Kerry Collins as a rookie. And then you fast forward to he was in Baltimore when they gave Joe Flacco the keys week one of his rookie season. In San Francisco, Colin Kaepernick in year two comes in and makes the team better Mitchell Trubisky comes in in Chicago, and that ends up being the right decision. Do you think those influences and those experiences will play a role in what he wants and maybe makes him more open to a young quarterback going out there immediately? Yeah, it, it's tough, man, because the Broncos are in a very difficult situation in which it's going to be tough to replace Case Keenum. You know, did he play good enough last year? No, he did not. I mean, uh, we'll be totally honest about it. I think the Case is still a capable quarterback that if you get the right pieces around him, you can do some good things. Uh, but if you listen to the presser, uh, Fangio, that certainly was not a ringing endorsement of Case Keenum. First off, yeah, he did use the qualifier 
fire right now. And then he referred is, to his Minnesota time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But he wasn't Minnesota case here. Exactly. So he, he used the qualifier right now, uh, which is like the number one, like, uh-oh, my ears are perked up. He said right now. Everyone did. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but then after that, as you just mentioned, he followed it up with his compliments talking about Case Keenum's previous play, right? So he said, I, I had the luxury of coaching in that division uh, when Case Keenum was playing really good football, and we're going to do our best to get him back to that. So he talked about him like his compliments were all in past tense and not present tense, right? And so uh, there, there's a, a number of things that you could look into that, but the reality is Case Keenum's probably going to be the Denver Broncos starting quarterback next year. Uh, number one, because he's good enough to be difficult to replace. You know, like even the performance you got last year, that's not as easy to replace as a lot of people think it is. Um, and then number two, you're talking about a year in which there's very few quarterbacks coming out, in which there's very few quarterbacks available in free agency. True. At least few quarterbacks that are clear upgrades. I mean, they're, you're talking about Tyrod Taylor, Teddy Bridgewater, uh, potentially Nick Foles, depending on what the Eagles do with his contract, Ryan Fitzpatrick. You don't look at any of those guys and say, wow, that guy's better. If Joe Flacco is on the market, I don't think you look at him and say he's appreciably better. In fact, by some metrics, the last few years, Case Keenum is better than Joe Flacco. Yeah, yeah, and that, that's exactly right. I mean, none of those guys, can you look at them and say, yeah, he's for sure an upgrade. I'm kind of over the Tyrod uh, conversation. Um, you know, Teddy Bridgewater is the one guy that you bring up that you say, you know what? He's got enough youth on his side, and he's been he's shown enough good things that you could still attach that P word to him, right? Like you could still say there's potential with Teddy Bridgewater. Everybody else you're talking about, you kind of got their max performance already. And uh, that max performance isn't even a clear upgrade from Case Keenum. So to me, I mean, look, I'm not overly interested in Teddy, Teddy Bridgewater, but he is the one guy that I say, eh, you might be able to get another level out of him still. Yeah, and he's young enough to where you could say, not only, not only could we get another level, he could be a 10-year guy. Yep. And to me, if you're looking to have someone that you bring in, whether it's a free agent or in the draft, it has to be with the mindset that, okay, if this guy works, we're set for a decade. We have somebody that can go punch for punch with Patrick Mahomes. And I think that's the other thing to consider. If you're trying to find a long-term quarterback, it has got to be a guy that is strong enough that is talented enough, that has enough mentally to where he can go pass for pass, punch for punch with Patrick Mahomes because that's what you're going to have to do if you want to win this division. <laughs> well, Patrick Mahomes is kind of the the perfect quarterback that everybody's trying to emulate. He is the modern day. Uh, and on top of that, I mean, he's just really, really good. So uh, teams will be trying to find their Patrick Mahomes for a long time. That's for sure. Let's turn it to the Pro Football Hall of Fame next. Since Steve Atwater is on with Ryan Edwards and me each weekday on Orange and Blue 760, we thought it would be logical to reach out to some members of the Hall Selection Committee. First up is Scott Garceau from 105.7 The Fan in Baltimore. Then we have Gary Myers, a longtime New York-based writer whose numerous books on football include Brady vs. Manning, the untold story of the rivalry that transformed the NFL. First up, Scott Garceau. Scott, thank you so much for your time today. How are you? Hello, Scott. Good to be with you guys. Are you going to put the full court press on me? 
Well, Steve we're just going to... Hey, hey. Hey, man, we got to back into a corner. We, <laughs> we got we a thought, on one going here. I have yeah. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. Guys like Allen Iverson, they, they love that stuff. Uh, yeah, hey, right. uh, yeah, so Scott, uh, yeah, before we get into uh, the Ravens and, and specifically John Harbaugh, as we were just talking about there, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd like to know what do you think about, and, and maybe you're going to say Ed Reed is the greatest safety oh. to play the game ever, but, but so I want to ask you, uh, what are your thoughts on uh, the possibility of Steve Atwater potentially going into the hall this year? Trust me, I, I think he is certainly worthy of being a finalist. If he's there on the end, I saw enough of um, Steve's career, he would get my yes vote. Uh, it, it's a complicated process. They're probably, of the 15 finalists, I, I would say you could make a case pretty good for 12 to 13 of them that they will be Hall of Famers at some point. Now, how many do we get in this year? I, I, I think Tony Gonzalez is a, is a lock. Just walk in, give him the gold jacket. Mm-hmm. I think Ed Reed is close to that. Some would say Champ Bailey's also in that category. I'm not sure if Champ is a first ballot guy, but if not, I think he'll be in in the next couple of years if he isn't this year. So that leaves the rest of the world to two spots if, if we go there. I do think there will be a DB. Uh, it's a real good class. Steve is part of that. Ty Law. Um, and I also think the offensive linemen are backlogged. Tony Baselli made it to the final 10 last year. I don't know if this is his year. I like Steve Hutchinson. I like Alan Fanica. I like Kevin Mawai. I, I think there will be an offensive lineman that's really getting backlogged at that position. There's a whole bunch of Hall of Famers waiting to get that call. Hey, Scott, looking at over the years, a lot is can be placed on the all-decade teams, and that's something that gets discussed and thrown around. The only two players on offense or defense from the all-1990s team that aren't in the Hall of Fame are both safeties, Steve Atwater and Leroy Butler, and all 1980s safety, Kenny Easley. He didn't get in until going through seniors committee in 2017. And all decade safety from the 70s, Cliff Harris has only been a finalist once. Why do you think the Hall of Fame has had such trouble with safeties and getting them in over the years? I can only speak this is my 15th year. Uh, It's an underrepresented position for sure. I think this year Johnny Robinson's going in from the seniors. I'm old enough to remember him on Hank Stram's teams. Worthy. Uh, we talked about Ed Reed. We talked about Steve knocking on the door. I think Tro- Troy Palomalo jumps into the fray next year. Uh, I-, I think we're going to start taking care of some of these guys. Why Why not in the past? I'm not sure. I think you have to d- look individually. The all-decade teams are important. I-, I put a lot in that. We vote on those teams. But some guys' careers run a little counterproductive to making all-decade teams. You know, if you, if you came in in 1985 and you left in 95 or 94 or 96, you may not have made an all-decade team, but you may have been, you know, a three-time, four-time all-pro, and you may have had a Hall of Fame career. So it's not the end-all, be-all, but I, I do respect that. We vote on it. It's important. I think the Pro Bowls are getting a little watered down. Uh, there's some guys, seven Pro Bowls, but they really were only selected three times because four other times nobody wanted to go and they got a call. So I think you you got to be careful with Pro Bowls. All pros are really important. And then talking to people in the era that they played in and trying to get a consensus from coaches, opponents about how special was this guy. Was this, was this guy 
uh, a person that separated himself in his era. And that's that's kind of what we're all about in the end. Is it a perfect process? No. But after <laughs> sitting in the room for 15 years and seven, eight-hour meetings every Super Bowl Saturday, I think it's a pretty good process. Yes, Scott. Um, you know, it's a gentleman who creates a, a course on scouting and how to become a GM and uh, he puts a scouting guide out every year. And in that scouting guide, he has all right, the importance of all the positions on the field. And at the top of the list, I'm sure you can guess quarterbacks. Then they got yeah. uh, left tackles, cornerbacks. That's why they pay money, right? <laughs> That's exactly. Right. That's exactly. Right. Guess who's at the bottom of the list? Safeties, probably. Exactly. Right? <laughs> you, you mean You're they had the punters ahead of you guys? <laughs> <laughs> well, they probably did. But but yeah. uh, do you, do you think that the safety position is uh, kind of you know uh, pe- people don't think it's as important as uh, some of the other positions you know it said it there in that report but uh, do you think that's yeah. the overall consensus too? You know uh, it might be it's not for me I let my eyes tell me what's special right and if you watch the Ravens play and I, I did Raven games for ten years on the radio and you watched Ed Reed. You knew that was a special game-changing player, right? Troy right. Palomalo with the Steelers, I think similar. Changed games, made big plays. What you did in Denver, the hits, the plays in the back end, the plays in the box, that's a special player. Um, I, I don't know how I grade positions, but I think we know when guys make teams better and change games, those guys, to me, say Hall of Fame. You're one of those guys, and I, um, I don't necessarily put a – the tough part for me is offensive linemen, right? Because I, I can see the plays you're making. I can see the plays a wide receiver and a running back, probably a line uh, a linebacker, defensive lineman getting push up the middle, stuff in the running game. To me, the tough part is offensive linemen. Probably got to do more work on those guys. Uh, we, we, don't, we don't have stats. We got more these days with pro football focus and all the analytics, but – um, that's a position that's tougher, right? When you get into right. why is Alan Fanica better than Steve Hutchinson and are they better than Kevin Mawai, you're really splitting hairs. Next is Gary Myers. As a Pro Football Hall of Fame voter, you know this question was going to come up as soon as we booked this interview, so we might as well go uh-huh. ahead and get this out of the way. Uh, Steve Atwater, what do you think his chances are of being a going from finalist to inductee? Well, I close my ears. I was just pausing there for a second because I just want, I was just trying to think of the best way to phrase this. You guys know that I've supported Steve every year because oh, yeah. you mm-hmm. yep. had me on the show a bunch of times. Yep. Yeah, I appreciate so, that. Um, I think that uh, it's really, it will be really important this year um, for Steve to make the cut from 15 down to 10. And obviously he wants to be one of the final five. Everybody does. But this thing does move uh, in steps. And if he can make that cut to 10, then it puts him in better position perhaps next year. And the hardest thing about this is that it's only once a year. So you, you go through the disappointment of not getting in, then you have to wait a whole another year for it to come up again. Um, it's all 15 of these guys, I'd have no problem voting for any five of them. I mean, throw them in a hat and pick out the names, and I'm good with it. Because to get this far in the process, everybody deserves – nobody who gets to the final 15, and this year it's 13 players and two coaches. Um, so the 13 players that are up for it this year, 
And they're all great players. They wouldn't have possibly gotten this far in the process unless they were Hall of Fame worthy. And when you do get this far in the process, eventually you do get in. It's just hard. It's just hard waiting. And so, I mean, I, I mean, I, I told Steve in the past that I promise as long as he's on the ballot, each step of the way, I'll vote for him, and I keep that promise. But I only have one of the 48 votes, and so I don't know how everybody else feels. Everybody feels strong enough about Steve that he keeps making it back to the final 15, which is, is very difficult to do. So I do think eventually he will get in. It's just I can't predict right now um, who's going to get in other than you would think that Tony Gonzalez would make it on the first time and Ed Reed. I'm not even mm-hmm. sure that Champ Bailey will make it the first time around. So um, the, the the tenor of the room, you know, it, it or the momentum in the room, it just changes uh, during the course of the eight hours that we sit in there and listen to all the presentations. And some guys emerge that you didn't think were going to necessarily have a chance to make to the final five. It's very hard to predict, but um, I think Steve should be excited about it because he made it to the final fifteen. And as long as we're going to be talking about him in the room, he's got a chance to make it to the final five. That's the best way I can say it. Yeah. And I find this almost hysterical that um, five of the 13 players, and I'm not counting the two coaches now, five of the 13 players at one point in their career played for the Jets. No way. Wow. You got Steve, Alan Fanica, Kevin Mawai, Ty Law, and Ed Reed. I mean, people forget that Ed Reed. Right. right. Finished up that last one. And, and this is a team that hasn't made the Super Bowl in 50 years. And, and they're dominating the Hall of Fame room this year. <laughs> I mean, because we know if Steve makes it, he's going in as a Jet. No, 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 no. <laughs> hey, when the Hall of Fame put it out on Twitter that you were a finalist, Steve, they had a Jets logo I saw that right down next there. to that Bronco logo. <laughs> yeah, I guess that both of them are included. Embrace the New York, Steve. Embrace it. <laughs> oh, sorry. Two jet quarterbacks have made it in the Hall of Fame: Joe Namath and Brett Favre. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Spoken Joe was the only legit jet. Yeah. <laughs> the all-decade teams—they're you know—they're not be all end all, but they're certainly something that are, that's cited when you talk about Hall of Fame resumes. It's sure. sort of a weird, weird anomaly on offense and defense from the all-decade team. The nineteen nineties—the only two guys in are not in are safeties. Atwater and Leroy Butler. You kind of it took a while to get Kenny Easley in in the eighties. Cliff Harris, all decade from the seventies, still isn't in. Uh, what in the Hall of Fame selection process? Why is evaluating safeties and getting them in so tough? That's a really good question. Uh, I'm not sure I have a good answer for that one. Kenny Easley made it in as a senior candidate. Yep. So he didn't even make it as a modern era, and I think that was mainly because you know his career was cut short by some health issues. Um, which is what I thought was going to cost Terrell Davis. I mean, I, I, I voted for TD every year that he was on the ballot, um, but and I was pleasantly surprised that he finally got in, but because of the shortness of his career, you know, I thought that was going to work against him. Uh, John Lynch has been a finalist for a number of years as well. And right. um, so uh, he's facing, if there is a prejudice against safeties, and I don't think there, are, there is, to be honest with you, um, at least I don't have any. Um, I, I don't know why um, it's been hard to get safeties in. I, I don't really have a good answer for that because I think Leroy Butler was a terrific player too. Mm-hmm. 
Right. Like, Gary, you mentioned something about they're being making the cut from 10 to 5. Now, that uh-huh. list isn't published anywhere, is it? The 10 to 5? Oh, sure. I I always tweet it out afterwards. Um, so what we do is, you know, we get the presentations for the the, the two contributors and then the, the senior candidate. And after the two contributors, we vote. And those guys just need 80% of the vote to get in. They're, they're not competing against each other. It's just they need 80% of the vote. And then we vote on the senior candidate. And um, he needs 80% of the vote. And then we start with the presentations. And we do all 15 presentations, one after the other, with a couple of bathroom breaks in there. which are very very helpful um (laughs) and some of the some of the uh, conversation about a player could last an hour which is what happened with Mm t.o and some of them basically it lasts 30 seconds somebody just stood up a few years ago and just said jerry rice and sat down and it wasn't a presentation or any conversation about him. But on the average, right. it usually goes about a half an hour. So after all of this, it's usually about eight hours. You know, there's 15 players and then the, the contributors and the seniors. And I have to tell you that at that point, we all just wanted to end. And and it's a, they basically... Um, pulled out of a hat with, with position, the order of the positions for the presentations, right? And within the position, it's done alphabetically. So Steve, obviously, for the defensive backs, would be first. I don't think there's somebody, anybody else with an A. Champ would go second and then whatever. But that position group could be the first, the second, or the last, you know, just depending on how the Hall of Fame decides it, and it's totally random. So, but when we and I'm giving probably more more of an answer than you wanted, but no, 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 I, I that's like good. To edu- I like to educate the listeners on what the process is. Um, so after all the 15 presentations are made and this year, like I said, it's 13 players and then the two coaches, Don Coriel and uh, oh, I'm drawing a blank on who the other coach is this year. Tom Flores. Um, right. I'm sorry. Yeah, Tom Flores. <laughs> Uh, and that's another story because I thought that if we're going to pick a coach, it should have been Jimmy Johnson, but that's a whole other story. Um, so anyhow, we got the presentations on, this, on those 15, and then we'll vote it down from 15 to 10, and it's strictly a raw vote. Whoever the 10 are who get the most votes are then in, you know, uh, continue on, and the five who don't are eliminated. And then we voted down from 10 to 5, and once again, it's the raw vote. Um, it's total votes and neither the hall of fame nor any of us are given the figures. We're just told who makes it. So we don't know if a guy, if a guy finished first among the 15 or, or second or ninth or whatever. We just know that after we voted from 15 to 10, we then, then revote and we vote from 10 to five. And once you get to five, then you need 80% of the vote just like the contributors and the, and the seniors do. And as long as you get 80% of the vote, then you're in. So the five guys are not competing against each other at that point. It's just they need to get 80% of the 48 votes. And if you do it, you're in. And in all the time I've done this, which is now about 10 years, 
nobody who's made it as a final Montanera candidate who's got to the final five, nobody has failed to get the 80%. And I almost think it would be cruel to vote against somebody. You know, you get to the final five, which is so hard to do, and then mm-hmm. you vote against them, I think, is really wrong. So personally, I've always voted for everybody when they got to the final five. So it's very difficult, which is why there's not a lot of guys in there. I forget what the number is now, but it's not a tremendous amount considering how many people, how many guys have played professional football. So it's an incredible honor. It changes people's lives. And for Steve's sake, I hope this is the year. Of course, we will keep beating the drum for Atwater and all of the Broncos Hall of Fame finalists this year. And let's hope that Selection Day, February 2nd, is not a Groundhog Day for the Broncos with the same results as many other years, but one that gives the Broncos at least two new members of the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Thanks to Tyler, Ryan, Steve, Scott, and Gary, and thank you for joining us this week as once again we go horsing around. This has been another edition of Horsin' Around with Broncos insider Andrew Mason. Check out Mace on DenverBroncos.com and weekday mornings at 10 with Steve Atwater and Ryan Edwards. That's how we get it done. We'll see you next time on Horsin' Around.